You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session Podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Matt Outen. Matt is the Chief Commercial Officer for Bridge Bio, which is a biotech company. Matt has held positions in different roles from sales, marketing, and other roles with a variety of different companies. Matt, welcome to the Leadership Jam session. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. Are you ready to jam? I am. Let's do it. So I think before we jump into your leadership journey, I think we should share with the listeners what you and I uncovered just before we started recording. Ah, all right. Yeah, today's a very important date for you, and it's an important date for me. Yeah, well, so it was it was interesting. You know, you asked me to join, and of course I said yes, and then um, but then I realized after I said yes that tonight uh, or today is my anniversary. And then I, or I sent you a text message, and you, of course, replied that... How ironic. Today is my wedding anniversary. <laughs> it was, it was, I couldn't really get out of it at that point. Because, yeah. You know, you're just making it up because I was like, oh, well, if you're going to jump on here, I, I, I kind of had that. So I really just have one question, and, and that's what did you get me? Ah, that's probably... Um, <laughs> that's probably the, well, that's the same question my wife uh, asked. Of course, so. <laughs> my, my wife got home from work and, and she's like, so where are we going for dinner? And I was like, yeah, about that. Um, yeah. Because our, you know, when we booked this, our, our date, you know, our, our schedules are so demanding that we decided to land on this date. Of course, I didn't even realize it was my wedding anniversary and yeah. we're doing it after hours. <laughs> right. Yep. So, so what you're saying is you blamed it on me and now your wife's upset with me and, uh, and I can't say I blame you. I think that was probably the, the right call. Well, I, I, if I was smart enough, uh, I would have done it out of the gate, but of course my wife, uh, is, is a saint 21 years. She, she's used to this. So, <laughs> yeah. and I, I think it's fair to say, as we jump into your leadership journey, we're going to learn that your wife is also a saint. Absolutely. Yes. She, you actually probably are, at the end are going to wish that you had had her on instead of me, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Well, let's, let's jump right in and talk about your leadership journey. You've uh, risen through the ranks fairly quickly. Yeah. Let me, uh, maybe I'll take you back, take you back a little bit to the beginning. I, I think early on, I, you know, I had a willingness to be really mobile and flexible. And, um, you know, I think you see that sometimes people get in with a company or a job and then they're they're in that role for a long time, and and I think sometimes it can actually hurt your career to stay in a role for too long because you 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 stop learning, you stop moving forward. So early on, I, I set a goal for myself that every two years I would uh, you know either get promoted or at least have obtained some additional responsibility. And it was just kind of an unwritten rule. Um, that I had for myself. So I, I started out in DC as a rep with GSK, you know, for two years there. And at that point, I really had been trying to get into the training department with GSK. I had always been, you know, since I went in to train with that group as a rep, I had been really impressed with it. And there just were no openings. But I had to make a decision on, you know, well, should I stay and wait for an opening, either in the training department or some other some other option, or I could, uh, recruiter had called and I could move to sharing plow, um, and sell, you know, another specialty medication there and kind of sticking to that two-year rule. I decided, you know, I needed to keep moving forward, even if maybe arguably that was slightly lateral. Um, I didn't want to get stuck. So made the move and that's actually where you and I joined up and, uh, 
uh, in first met each other. Yeah. So I think, I think it's fair to inform the, our listeners at this point that you used to work for me. I did. And and we still talk. It's a, it's amazing. <laughs> You're a brave man. And, uh, yeah. so that was about, I guess, maybe 10 or 13 years ago that, um, yeah, you worked for me as a sales rep. Well, and it's funny cause you know, another, you know, and you sort of ask like what, what leads to success? I think that was when I sort of first realized, you know, your relationship with your manager determines a lot about where you go or don't go. Um, uh, that, that was when, you know, you really sort of pushed me to get into a marketing role, uh, during our work contacts and a marketing role had come up, uh, you know, in the home office and I had to decide if that's what I wanted to do. We were kind of at my two, you know, unwritten two year mark. And I, I still remember it. So I applied for the job and we were at a national sales meeting and, uh, we were all sitting in the audience and we had done some kind of exercise. And I think, honestly, I hadn't really been even paying that much attention to it. You know, you're in a room with 500 people and they said, oh, are there any volunteers to come up and read from, you know, whatever it is that you created? And sure enough, the guy that I was competing with for the job gets up on stage and, you know, starts reading his thing and just kills it. I mean, the guy just blows it out of the water. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, we were sitting there and you leaned over and you're like, well, listen, man, you got to, you got to go, you got to go up there now. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? He said, no, I mean, that's your competition right there. You can't sit here hiring managers in the audience. You need to go up. So, you know, here I am going up on stage. I'm, you know, sure I didn't do a great job because I hadn't prepared very well for it. But I remember when I got finished and we were all sort of standing around, that hiring manager came up and said, hey, I really appreciate uh, getting up there like that. That's not, not an easy thing to do. And he ended up giving both of us the job. He ended up hiring two people instead of one. And I look back on that and I, I, I really do think that moment was probably what helped me uh, get that job. And that got me into the home office. And it's funny. So we were speaking about my wife, uh, earlier. So she was pregnant at the time. And I remember I was driving up to New Jersey from Delaware every Sunday and then driving back home every Friday. And that that was, uh, quite a lift both on, on me, but then of course, especially her being pregnant with our, with our first child. And if you only knew at that point in time, that was just the beginning. Yes. It was, it, it was just the beginning and it actually sort of became a little bit of a joke because uh, I went into the home office there in marketing, ultimately moved over into a market access job. And then that manager moved up to Boston and called me and uh, asked if I would come up there. So my, my Jenny was pregnant again at that time. And so I said, well, that must be the sign when you're, when you're pregnant, it's, it's time to move. And, uh, and, you know, we, of course, did it sort of all in the wrong way. I mean, the first time we moved, we were in a, a one-bedroom uh, corporate housing uh, apartment, uh, had the baby, and literally a week later, they made us move out. Sharing made us move out, which was, which was <laughs> nuts. And so we moved into a Homewood Suites for about three months with uh, a one-year-old, uh, you know, with a, or, or with, a, with a newborn baby, and then, um, and our, our second daughter, that's when our second daughter was born. So our a newborn baby, uh, a one-year-old and a hundred pound yellow lab living in the home with suites. I mean, it was, it was crazy. How many times 
did you move? Just curious. Uh, oh, geez. I mean, we probably, we probably lived in, and this is interesting. So I grew up in the same house where my dad was born and raised. Um, and my mom still lives in this house. So, you know, didn't move at all as a kid. And I would say we've probably moved close to 15 times, 12 to 15 times, I would guess. Not always, you know, across the state. Sometimes it was, you know, across the street, but we, uh, we moved a lot. I mean, especially when you're young, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have any money. So we're renting apartments and trying to, you know, make ends meet, having lots of kids. And, uh, it was a, we, we were moving all the time when we lived in Boston, we lived in one, two, three, four different places in a five-year period (laughs) to give you, give you some idea, um, all with the, still with the same company, but just, you know, there were even a lot of moves just, Within uh, within the changes for work. Then you moved cross country for another opportunity, correct? That's right. Yes, that's when I moved to go to Pharmacyclics. Mm-hmm. And then you became the vice president there. Yes. Yeah, so first started out running uh, market access, and then later was able to move into an interim CCO role. Yeah. And for my listeners out there, what, what Matt's talking about is market access position. This this is tied into the healthcare industry, where these these roles are are focused on working with insurance companies and payers to make sure that medication and the best access is available to the patients to get the medications that they need. So as we talked about, the moving to different roles and moving your family several times worked to your advantage to kind of fit into that that strategy you had of constantly moving forward and, and learning along the way. Yes, for sure. And again, I think, you know, it was picking... A lot of it was luck. I mean, I'd love to tell you that I had sort of this crystal ball, but um, you're never you're never going to be completely sure. And then it was then once I was there, then getting in with good managers who, you know, I could work well with, who worked well with me, and then we could try to build something together. Um, that helped tremendously. And listen, I've had some bad managers along the way, too. Um, or maybe maybe they think I was a bad employee. I guess it would write two sides to the story. But, uh, uh, you know, if you get in and gel with the manager, uh, it really makes a big difference in your career. I'm sure there's listeners out there that are sitting back saying, you know, that's great. That worked out well for you. But there are some individuals that unfortunately with their circumstance just can't move and they too feel stuck. If you hear my story and you think, oh, my gosh, that would, uh, you know, that's crazy. I would never want to do that. Um, so you have to then decide, can I get to the same place? Um, can I get to the same place like Matt or, uh, I'm, you know, but, uh, but it did through a different path or you might say, okay, Matt talked about his two year rule, but that required him to move quite a bit. I'm going to do a, uh, four year rule or a three year rule, recognizing that then maybe I won't have to move. Um, or, you know, something like that, or, uh, you know, or, or I'm going to do one move, but my move is going to be to California, New Jersey, or Boston, because then I don't have to move anymore. And that actually would be reasonable. You know, if you said, I'm going to do, and I'm not going to do Matt's 15 moves, because that's nuts, but I'm going to do my one move, and I'm going to research, you know, where are the most companies and cost of living and all of that. And so I'll decide to move to Boston, which actually might be what I would recommend. So you move to Boston where you're close to Cambridge and, you know, some of the outlying companies. And now you say, I'm going to set a three-year rule because I'm not going to move anymore, but I can move within all of these companies and new startups show up all the time. 
um, that that would be probably a really good plan. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember, you know, when I took over the team you were on, that was my second team, and the team I was coming from, I had to move to get my first management position. I, I, I lived in Jersey, and I tried to get a, a couple of management spots in in, in the tri-state area, and it wasn't working out, and I had to move. And I don't know, I don't know what it is, but my wife, uh, you know, we had the twin boys, and, and she, I think they were 16 months, uh, and, and I moved her to a different state eight hours away, which was not probably the, the brightest move I ever did, and that was, uh, you know, 15 years ago, so and I think she just started talking to me again last year, but <laughs> but I, I can say definitively, I would not, my career would not have progressed the way it did if it was not for that move. I mean, it might have eventually, but it would have taken a lot longer. What you don't want is people to say, oh, well, I'm not going to be that guy because he moved 15 times. It's like, you know what? Do it smarter than I did then. You know, move once. Do the Rob Fonte, right? Move once, but do it for the right job that sets your career off. The, the hard part is recognizing when you say, okay, I'm stuck. Uh, what do I want to do? Am I okay sitting here or is it time to go? Because I will also say I've seen a lot of people who leave and they shouldn't. You know, they leave for the they're they're so frustrated, either a bad manager or whatever it is, didn't get the, you know, they interviewed for a job and they did I have interviewed for a ton of jobs that I did not get. Um, but you know, someone will interview for the job, but they don't get it, somebody else gets it, and then they're mad and they say, Well, I should have gotten that job you know, screw this place. I'm out of here. And then they jump for the first job that comes along and they're miserable. And, you know, that is a, is a real problem. So you do have to be very thoughtful, maybe sort of detached and unemotional about, uh, you know, when you're thinking about making a change and that's when it's good to have a network that you can rely on so that you can call people who, who will give you sort of, you know, the unemotional view. So, you, you know, you don't want to go to a company where you suddenly show up and now you're like, I've made a huge mistake because you can't just leave again or now your resume starts looking a little choppy. You know, you left, went somewhere, and then six months later, you're somewhere else. You have to explain that and you're going to have to explain that forever. Uh, that, you know, that never goes away. So. You want to be thoughtful, use your, your network, talk to people who you know, so that you can make a calculated decision. And when you make the move, it's, uh, you know, it's for the better, because at that point, no one's gonna, no one cares. All those people that you don't like, um, they don't care about you. So when you leave, make sure it's on your terms and for a, a good next step, not just because, you know, for whatever, whatever has you upset at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I've seen individuals, employees leave based on an emotional decision who are stuck and frustrated and end up in an environment that, that still provides them with the same limitations. And now, and now they're hurting their reputation because they left the company disgruntled. Now they're in a new company disgruntled and their your reputation starts to be one of, you know, they struggle to work well on a team or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And a lot of times it is, they're just not in the right place or with the right group or in the right role. But how are you going to get there if now your reputation starts leading people to say, well, I know they really struggled over there. They didn't get along with a bunch of people. 
if you're a hiring manager and you hear those things, you're running for the hills. You're you're not hiring that person. Not not when the competition, you know, for these types of jobs is so fierce. You're going to find the person who has the glowing reviews. So, you know, if you find yourself in that situation, just hold tight, take a deep breath and then really start looking carefully so that when you make that move, it's the it's the right one. You know, find your friends, find the people who you really like and figure out where they're working. Call them up and ask them if they say they're miserable. Don't go there. But if they say, yeah, this is a good place and I like it, then, you know, zero in on that. Ask to meet their manager. Right. No jobs available. Who cares? Go have lunch with them. Uh, you know, make your start networking and meeting people that way. And, uh, you know, things can, can can come out of that. I just hired somebody here, a uh, person that I used to work with, who I really respected, said, hey, a friend of mine is looking for a job. And I said, well, I don't have anything right now. And she said, well, I just think you guys would get along. You should meet her. So I said, OK, sure. So she came in, we met and I went to my manager and I said, I know we don't have a job, but we need to hire this person right away. So we, we, we hired her. Did right? you? And I was like, yeah, yeah. We hired her. We came up with a role. And um, two months later, her job looks completely different. She's running a team of six people. And uh, I couldn't be happier. She's offloaded a ton of work for me, which is, which is great. Um, you know, to the point where then we had to hire more people because it was just, you know, she's sort of it's just, it's just who she is. She's, she's creating a lot of opportunity, which is, which is a good thing. So what you're saying is that you actually, you didn't have a position open, but you uh, met somebody for lunch because through through this person's network appeared to be a, a a good potential hire down the road, but you still moved forward and hired them because you liked them so much. Yeah. She showed up. She had done all sorts of research on the company, the disease state, what we did. And she brought me not a business plan. So I, w- I wouldn't encourage people to do that. She just brought a couple of slides that highlighted some key points and, you know, not even that all the points were right, but I just thought, wow, this is great. I love the way she's thinking about how she would approach things and we need this. And so um, I just said, yeah, you know, you, you get good people, good things happen. And I'm with a, a startup now, so there's plenty of work. And I said, you know, just get her on the team and we'll, you know, kind of, you're building, you're building the plane a little bit as you're flying. So just, you have good people and, and, like I said, those those good things are going to happen. So, yeah, but if, if my friend hadn't called and said, no, you really need to meet her, she's great, that would have never happened. And uh, and the thing is, even if I hadn't hired her, but I had been that impressed, you know, let's say later on there's an opportunity. We, we do finally have a job opening. I'm going to call that person. It actually changed my approach. I now regularly interview people without a position. I tell them ahead of time, I say, listen, we don't have a, a position open, but so-and-so knows you and I respect that person. So why don't we just meet, have lunch and make a connection? And I've been able to then fill jobs later, you know, because they're maybe they're happy in their job or they're moderately happy. But then you call them up a few months later and you say, we do have a role now. And you kind of know each other, you know, maybe you've stayed in touch. It's uh, it's It works well. So I would I would say, you know, that person in that spot, make a plan, make a three month plan. You you can get out of that job within six months. So use that to your advantage to not be miserable at, jo- at your job all day and just make that plan. Use your network and you'll, you'll find something. I think that's a great best practice, not only for people to use their network to meet with hiring managers who may not even have a position, but just to through their network to make that first initial contact, 
But also on the flip side, as a hiring manager, even if you don't have a position available, to still be out there doing what you're doing, meeting with people for potential positions down the road. Listen, I have people in my network who will call me and say, I'm looking for a head of market access. Who do you know? And then I'll say, well, you know, it's funny. I just met this person and they're great. And I didn't have a position for them, but you should talk to them because they actually really knew their stuff. And now that person knows me, respects my opinion on it. So then that individual now sort of has a leg in and they say, well, hey, can you can you introduce me? And I'll say, sure. And then I make the introduction. And right. So even though it's just you never know how how you'll get connected or or how that can work out. Like I said, I've, I've changed my approach now in, in terms of how I sort of operate. And I, I meet a lot of people now, meet for coffee, have a phone conversation. And because, um, you know, it's a small, small industry, small world. And they're, what you need today is not what you need tomorrow. And you don't have a job today, but tomorrow, you know, you're filling a, a whole nother branch of your team or something. So it's, um, it works well. Well said. That's great. So I'm curious, did you apply the same type of mentality with the people that worked for you in terms of getting them pushed out or, or, or getting them developed every couple of years? Did you have That's that same mind? Yeah. Did you have that same yeah. mindset? I know I can't, I can't let anyone who works for me listen to this or they're all going to say, <laughs> it's been two years. Where's my promotion, right? Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, what I try to do, I, I have like this 80 idea anyway of this 80-20 rule. So I try to match people up where 80% of their job will be something that they just absolutely love to do. Um, and it's not because I'm a good manager. I mean, it's actually somewhat selfish. When someone's doing what they love to do, they'll do more of it longer. It's better. Um, you know, picture just something you really, you really love to do. Like if you like to be out out on your boat fishing, if you go fish for eight hours, you don't come home and think, oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted from that. I, I wish I could have been doing something else, right? You might be tired, you might be exhausted, but you're, you're thrilled that, you know, you were having so much fun. So 80%, you have to give people what they just love to do because you don't have to manage them. They're just, they're going to do it. They're going to crush it. And, you know, they're excited about it. So they come find you. They want to talk about it. They want to show you what they're doing, ask questions, improve upon it. Um, and then 20% needs to be either something, you know, things they ne- don't necessarily like to do. And that's probably because they're not as good at it or, you know, it's harder for them or they're just uncomfortable, haven't done it before. But th- But that's where the growth takes place. Um, and so 20% needs to be the areas where either I think they're, they need some work, right. To get better and, or just an area that where they haven't been yet. And so they need that, the exposure to help broaden uh, their skill set, And that seems to work pretty well. And, and I've had good success, I think, developing lots of individuals, building large teams and, um, and, you know, luckily I've had fairly low turnover rate throughout my career. So I, I think it works pretty well. It's when it's when that ratio starts tipping the other direction that people get frustrated at work. They're exhausted at work because, you know, I don't know, imagine if you had to do your taxes for 10 hours a day. Um, if you're an accountant, that sounds like a, a, lo- a you know, a dream job uh, for anybody else. You're probably thinking like, Oh, I, you know, that would be so miserable. Um, but if you're doing what you love, all of a sudden you're like, it's five o'clock. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I could work another four hours on this. 
doesn't doesn't feel like a heavy lift. All right, so that's a great point, Matt, and it's a great approach. Have you come across a scenario with an employee where you talk about that tipping point where perhaps they weren't in the right role? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, I did have um, this one individual. She had decided that she wanted to try market access, and and I do I push a lot of people in that direction just because I you know I think it's great, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody else will. And in this instance, um, she didn't like it. She just didn't really. She wasn't. She was doing well with it, but it just wasn't her passion. And there was an opening on the marketing team, and she approached me and said, "Listen, I'd like to try to move over there." She had probably been in the job maybe a year and a half. Uh, and she said, you know, I just, I think that's a better fit. And so I, uh, approached the manager over in the marketing team and we sort of talked about it. And I said, yeah, if, why don't you interview and we'll see where it goes. And the manager, anyway, long story short, she got the job and the manager came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I was really surprised that you were willing to let this, uh, this person come over. And I said, oh, why? I said, she's, she's great. I said, she's a really, really great employee. I'm you know, happy for her to get the job. Sorry that she's leaving. You know, I don't have anything bad to say. And she said, well, no, she said, you know, when I, who, you know, who's going to do all of her work now? And I said, uh, well, you know, the team will, will, everybody will split it up and then we'll hire, we'll hire somebody else eventually. She said, oh yeah, you know, once I hire somebody and train them, especially if they're really good, I'm just so hesitant to, you know, let them leave because then, you know, I have to do the work or some, you know, it's, it, it really messes it up. And then maybe my team doesn't look good. It's, you know, then people, it's a poor reflection then on the team. And I just thought, wow, you know, that's, that's exactly where you don't want to be. You know, that's that, if you find yourself trapped in that situation, um, you know, that's a real problem. You're great. And your manager likes you and not, they're not investing or willing to invest in helping you get to the next level. Um, so, you know, my, so I guess I look at it two ways. If the person's working hard and they're just not liking what they do, why wouldn't I help them get to that better place, get them to their 80, 20? Maybe that's not, you know, in, in what I do, you know, in the, in the commercial arena. Um, but there's, you know, a lot of other places within the company and then you keep a good employee. And, and interestingly, that person that we're talking about stayed in marketing, has been in marketing ever since. And, that's probably 12 years ago, and now she's running a marketing team at a at another company and doing doing really well. So you know she found her 80 percent, and um, uh, you know so that's I, I look and say that that's good. You keep, if I kept her where she was, she would have been miserable, probably become disgruntled and not productive. And you know we've all all been there and seen what that looks like. Well, I think that also speaks volumes to to you to acknowledge that perhaps she wasn't in the right role and helped her get to the right role. You also reminded me of a similar story going back to that leader who was surprised that you were willing to let your employee leave your team. I came across it. I come, unfortunately I come across this a lot, but years ago I was in a workshop and, and, and this was before I was even in, in the training gig. I was asked just to come in and, and with a group of managers and I was going to, I was representing more of a, of a, tenured manager offering some insight throughout the class over the over the few days that we were there and this one I'll never forget this one manager uh, spoke about the same scenario that she had somebody on her team who was uh, an all-star her rock star and wanted to 
uh, interview for another role within the organization. It would have been a promotion and she didn't want to support her. She didn't want to lose her. And I looked at her and I said, well, here's, here's the thing. There's a couple things with this. The first is that what you don't realize is you already lost her. The question is, do you want to lose her internally to another department or do you want to lose her to a competitor? Because that's a great point because keeping her, uh, eventually she, she will leave. And the second thing that she didn't realize was that once, once you start investing in people the way, the way you were doing it and the way you are doing it, you start to get a reputation of, of investing in people's development. You then yourself become a talent magnet. People want to come work for you. Those openings, won't, yeah, those openings mm-hmm. aren't going to stay open very long because you'll have people wanting to come work for you because they know you're going to develop them. Yeah, or vice versa. If you're not developing people, you get that reputation. And then people say, yeah, well, go there if it's your if it's your last stop, but don't expect to go anywhere after that. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, that can be the uh, that can be the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, listen, look at this, right? I mean, you and I worked together how many years ago? And we still are in touch. We still connect. We talk about lots of lots of things, help each other out on lots of different things because, you know, uh, I'm not working for you anymore, but you invested in me and then now we're friends. And that's kind of how, how it happens, right? I mean, you're not going to work with the same team forever and ever, but that doesn't mean they can't be a part of your network and help support you making lots of important decisions. All right. So we're almost out of time, Matt. One last question for you. What do you enjoy most about managing people? I would say maybe two things. Um, one, I really enjoy watching people grow in their careers. Uh, I, I love having people that I worked with for, I have people that I've been in the last three companies. We've all kind of stayed together and moved from company to company. Uh, you know, two things happen. One, you know, they know what you're really good at. You know, what they're really good at. And there's no pretense. I mean, I'll be in meetings and someone will say, Matt, I'm going to do that because you're terrible at that. Right. <laughs> so that's okay. I like that. And you, you become friends with those people and the team just gels. There's a project that comes in. Everybody already knows who's going to take which pieces um, and, and get it done. And, and there's a lot of, I think a lot of satisfaction then with working on a team like that, where you're proud of what you're doing, but you're just as proud as the other people on the team because you're, you've known them for so long. You're friends with them. You just, you, you want to see, you want to see everybody on the team succeed as much as yourself. And, uh, it takes a while to get a team like that, but when you have it, it's, uh, it's pretty special. Yeah, I could not agree more with you. I mean, let's face it, right? Managing people can be a hard road. There are days where you sit back and you wonder, why am I doing this? Is this really worth it? But then, you know, if you do this long enough and you do it the right way, you're going to have more good days than you are bad. And what makes the journey as, as, as what you were talking about special, at least for me anyway, is watching people like yourself grow over the years. And even even if I'm a small part of that along your journey, that's what really makes it worth it. Being yeah, able to I couldn't agree more. Yeah, being able to be a part of someone's journey and watching them get to new heights is really that's what really makes managing people special. Well said. Well Matt, appreciate you coming on and jamming with me. Yeah, ton of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're enjoying the podcast, then click the subscribe button, leave a review, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast.